It's Gas Giants again. I'm Tom. That's Gav. Hi there. And we're going to... T- yes, hi. And we're going to talk about YouTube splainers today. Probably I need to explain to Gav what this is all about because he has no idea. Please. A YouTube splainer is a particular style of YouTube video that attempts to explain something in a sort of middle-brow, sort of Malcolm Gladwell-level intellectual involvement and does so in a sort of public radio style. Uh, A public radio level of smug. A little condescending and... And often quite a lot of a lot a lot of clever tricks to deflect attention from this, that, and the next thing. But anyway, it's a it's a genre that arose out of simply YouTube existing, mm-hmm. and among many others. So another genre that has arisen is the is the reaction video. Do you watch reaction videos? Oh yes, yeah, right? reaction videos and unboxing videos. You like unboxers, yeah. No, I don't really like them, but I'm I'm saying these are these other yes. categories. Yes, explainers, reaction videos, which I actually quite like, and unboxing videos, which I find a waste of time. Yes, gear reviews. So, you like they're, well, they're they're sometimes useful if, you're, if you're looking for something spe- specific. And what I spend far too much time on is will it start? What's that? That's some car that's been buried oh, right. for 30 years restorer um, restorers yeah, yeah. yes yes, yes. That's, a, that's another kind of thing because that's very amenable to um to video editing you know home video editing you can mm-hmm. just sort of like do videos of various stages of it and of course you can you can you can reverse the process too which is to create the thing that you're going to restore ah uh. Right, because okay. it's not always the case that they just found this car and restore yeah. it. Well, the the ones that I watch usually it is. Are are you guaranteed that, or do they just say so? Well, um, I'm uh, I'm very addicted to um, a channel called Vice Grip Garage, where um, some bloke from uh, I think he's from uh, Tennessee um, goes to some farmer's field where they've had a, a Cadillac in a ditch for the last 20 years, and he gets it up and running and uh, then drives it home, All right. usually over now, several hundred miles. Now, how much evidence do you have for this ditch in the 20 years? Oh, you can see that from the condition of the car in the first place. I yeah. see. Uh, the stuff that is not uh-huh. moving. Right. Yes, of course. But, of course, that's easy to fake. And, uh, well, I mention this because there are people that do fake Restorer videos and, uh, and some people that then do um, what you call it a reaction video to that explaining how this is fake, which, of course, I find very entertaining, too. Both both together, you know, they're sort of like the, you know, there's somebody making their living, perhaps, or at least getting famous doing doing a restoration and then somebody else is so outraged that they do a debunking of the of the restoration this this Uh was obviously sort of painted on rust or something you know they just do okay we we had we had a recent example of this of course on our own show where i had been extremely jealous of somebody who, who seemed to do the most fantastic uh, movie synopsis in, you know, almost without breathing. Yes. And I attempted to do the same thing. When Gen X you know. ruled the 
multi the multiplex. Yes. Yeah. Yes. And you pointed out to me that it had been heavily edited after yes. I'd had several girls at doing it. So. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, it's fairly obvious, but okay. <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah. I, I, and even if it wasn't, I think she, I think her ability to 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 summarize movies is very poor. Actually, I mean, I'm, huh? I kind of applaud the effort because she really went through a, a, a good set of movies to, that's worth reviewing, but. Uh-huh. Uh, Getting to the, it's just baffling. You know, it's like I, I find that even movies I know something about, it's hard to, it's hard to follow what she's saying about them. But then again, every time we try to do a synopsis of a movie, it takes us about an hour. Well, that's a podcast. Yeah, I suppose it is. Yeah, although although I did actually, I'm sorry, I'm proud of uh, of managing to do Dingo the other week. <laughs> well, you wrote it out, didn't you? Yes, I did. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Reading from pre- prepared text. Yes. Yeah. But anyway, back to the explainers. Yeah, explainers. Sorry, spiners. Explainers, yeah. I just thought, I just think they're kind of funny in a way as a, how should I put this, as a window onto the zeitgeist and a mm-hmm. window onto <clears throat> our own souls as individuals and those of our friends, etc. Mm-hmm. Because... All of these genres that we talked about have arisen in the last, how many, like 17 years or something, as the internet, as people's internet connections got fast enough for you for this sort of stuff. And YouTube came along and solved the problem of sharing this stuff in a compatible way. Because before YouTube was there, mm. it was ridiculously difficult to share a video that you had taken online. Yeah. Uh, because of compatibility issues, I, it just it just was. Don't let me make me go over the details. It was just awful. YouTube sorted that out, and suddenly, uh, you know, people anybody who had a video camera and knew how to edit on a computer uh, could could be on YouTube. Mm-hmm. Then there's obviously the proliferation of the broadband, and where we are today is that to a good extent. Uh, YouTube has replaced TV. Hmm. This is quite astonishing to the extent to which it's happened. There are some news people that have moved to YouTube and, and got bigger audiences there than hmm. they ever had on uh, on cable. For young people today, YouTube is a perfectly good alternative to what we did back when we were young of just turn the box on and see what's on. Yes. All right? Now, we had three or four channels to flip through. Americans probably had more, depending on whether or not they had cable. Mm-hmm. Uh, once the, you know, the cable and satellite came along, if you had those, then you got a few more channels to choose from, or a lot more, depending. Um, mm-hmm. And things started to specialize. But only really with YouTube do we have the... Sorry, first of all, we got extremely low cost of entry. Right, Getting on satellite, getting on cable, that takes investment you need you need to you need upfront money to get mm-hmm. just to get on those things yeah um, but for youtube no nothing uh mm-hmm. all you need is you know a camera these days we've all got phones and that's good enough for a lot of stuff mm-hmm. then it's just a question of finding the audience and then the other part of it is that youtube has this feature i find it so annoying that i have it turned off it presents a list of things that you might want to watch next. Right? Mm-hmm. 
So we've got basically anybody who wants to be on TV can be. And we've got an algorithm that these people can play with by various techniques. They can try and learn how the algorithm works and game it. So the result is that we get something like Mr. Beast or SSS Nipplewolf and things like this that I, I really have to say I don't understand, but I'm assuming that they are a sort of a neutral and authentic product of YouTube. They're gigantic mm -hmm. audiences for, I think, what is mostly uh, reaction videos. You know, that's entertainment these days. But the other part is you've got any number of channels. You and I both have one, right? Mm -hmm. uh, it's not yeah. hard to do. So there's this terrain in the middle of people that can address genuinely interesting questions that should have an audience out there. And if they can meet that audience somehow by gaming the algorithm, then they've got a channel with an audience and they can build it and so forth. Right? So getting, getting that ball rolling is, of course, tricky and, and, and takes persistence and all that. And there are, there are difficulties in there. People can mm -hmm. end up on, clearly end up on a treadmill once they've got a big audience. Mm -hmm. There is this, this sort of tension between Google is evil, we know. It's, mm -hmm. it's an advertising machine, we know. But there is also an element of, I think, real anthropology and psychology study that can be done just by looking at mm. what's in those uh, recommends lists, what gets a lot of plays, what gets mm. fewer plays, what gets famous over time, what doesn't, and so mm -hmm. forth. Uh, because you're actually, the, the system does, to the extent that we trust it, of course, because, you know, whatever, it measures popularity trends, mm. right? Mm -hmm. And so then you can examine, well, what is a, can we see any patterns to this? Yes, we can see patterns to, to, to production styles, right? We just talked about them. A, a, a genre is a production style, a, a, a splainer that uses animations or, mm -hmm. or lots of little bit uh, or lots of uh, still pictures um, and so forth is a style. These can become a thing in itself and you can look at that thing in itself and its popularity over time. And I think that that's a window onto uh, the zeitgeist, the soul of, mm -hmm. our, of, the, of the mass audience. But it's also interesting to go and see how individual people respond to these things as okay. a window onto their individual psychology yeah okay so um over the last uh couple of weeks you and i have amassed quite a quite a, a pile of, of fairly random uh splainers mm -hmm. and other uh, things yeah exactly and um well that says something about it as well the, the sheer random nature of it i mean we've mm -hmm. uh, there's quite a lot of ones about music well that's hardly random yeah, that's I mean, hardly it's, random. It's, that's it's what I'm of, saying. <laughs> I mean, it's you, you and I. Our origin is in music, as a, yeah. as the two of us together, and we're both very interested in it. Yeah, exactly. And uh, yeah, I do. Um, th this is something that I do watch quite a lot of. Is uh, 
is anything to do with chords or arranging or uh, stuff like that. Yeah. It's something that does that does interest me a lot. Yeah. But um but there's there's other stuff in there as well uh, which we'll come to. Yeah. Do you want yeah. to start with the music? Well, no, listen, I'll tell you where, where the place to start is. Is you sent me a video which I've watched, I think, all the way through at least twice, if not three times. I still don't really understand. And which one is that? And it's called uh, something like Why Do Humans Like Jazz? Oh, I love this one. Yes. Yeah, I thought Excellent. you might. Excellent choice. Because, why, why do you think I might? I, just before I, I explain why I like okay. it. Well, it starts, okay, this whole thing opens with a premise which I find it very hard to understand or get behind. It says, it's widely accepted that most people don't like jazz. <laughs> Tom, who are these people? I mean, I think your <laughs> wife is the only one I know. <laughs> I've never met any of them. Oh, you've got to be kidding. Come no. on. That's, uh, I, I, I was just talking about this earlier with Ava and thinking, like, for me, the, uh, the, the statement is, is the, the funny part is, why do humans like jazz? Well, obviously they don't. I mean, of, of the 7 billion people on this planet, how many of them do you think are going to say, let's put on some jazz? at the moment that they just want some music on, right? Well, I've, maybe I've a mil- met any. Maybe, me, me, yeah, because you're, you, don't, you don't know any people, real people. People come over so, to my house, they love it when I stick a classic Blue Note album on. Yes, they're entertained by your entertainment. And the, the, the uh, no, I think, I, think it's, I think he's entirely correct here, is that jazz is out of fashion and most people aren't listening to it very much. Some people, I think people like the idea of liking jazz. Uh, it's sort of like liking the idea that God exists and we're going to heaven if we're good. It's, it's good for our souls. Uh, but the, uh, no, the, 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 I think, I, I think exactly the opposite here. He's, he's completely right. Most people don't like jazz, at least not enough to actually, you know, spend their time listening to jazz. In, 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 in. I think people like, a little bit of jazz for a few minutes because it's it sounds kind of hip. It sounds cool, um, but but having to really slog through an hour and a half or something, you know, it's like oh dear, oh dear. There are so many, so many assumptions and premises and unexplained leaps of logic in this video that are complete nonsense. Oh, good. That's why I chose it. Because it's it's got what like fifty five million views and all these comments saying oh this is so interesting I learned so much and this is literally beneath the Thomas Friedman level of of intellectual <laughs> rigor but but it's got but it's got all the touches it's got all the you know it's got the the animations yeah uh, and these are mostly very simple animations a lot of it's just uh, you know the, the process of drawing something out or writing it out, or mm-hmm. writing out some text occasional um, gifs yeah and stuff like that and you know and it's it, so it starts off with so if we're going to explain this we have to look into uh we have to break it down um into rhythm uh melody and harmony 
And I mm. stop right there. Stop, 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 stop. You can't explain anything like that. No, you can't. And he fails to. Mm. Right? Number one, that, that top-level analysis of these three, these three um, components to music mm. is just part of the European tradition. Uh, that's not... Uh, you're not talking about human psychology there. You're talking about the European tradition, which is fine. We can do that. Mm -hmm. But that comes out of the European tradition's uh, use of, mm -hmm. uh, of notation, right? And the, uh, and the fact that, that, that the, the analytic school of music the, uh, in Europe, the, the analytic mm -hmm. side called, that they call, surprisingly enough, theory, uh, works with these parameters that come out of the notation, which obviously covers, as we've talked about in the past, rather little of what musicians can and cannot do, especially jazz musicians. Mm -hmm. um, how can you talk? How can you talk about the uh, the what what needs among a human are are naturally satisfied by by music and by extension some sort of theory that explains also jazz. On huh. that basis, that just, that just makes no sense to me. Yeah. On, on the other hand, I did quite enjoy the breakdown of African drumming. I did too. That was yeah. that was pretty cool, um, and would have been it would have been very much nicer to have a just just the African drumming stuff that he hadn't just lifted yeah. from somewhere else, and we could have gone and watched that instead. But um, then he has to draw some kind of mathematical formula which involves letters and putting things on top of other things, yes, at which point I just, this I, I, I rebel at this shit. You should do too, because, because what he's doing there is pulling rank, right? This, yeah. This use of, this use of, um, of some, you know, some math, um, you know, some, you know, algebra written down or whatever is a way of saying, I understand these formulae, uh, and anybody that, that properly understands what I'm saying should and yeah. that's, you know, that's, that's like, you know, that's like the TED Talk guy, right? Mm. The TED Talk guy has all these uh, little techniques of style to try and tell you, mm. I'm a thought leader. I'm more important yeah. than you. Yeah. You should listen to me. If you don't understand or agree, you're wrong, mm. right? It's an argument from authority. Fuck that shit. Yeah, yeah. I've. Uh, I mean, I seem to be the only one who finds TED Talks sinister. No, no. Um, no, the, I, I, no. They're, they're, they're. They are very clearly dangerous because they all, uh, they all come from a neoliberal, if not libertarian, economic standpoint. All. Well, I mean, my first reaction when I saw one was that this must be a front for the CIA. It does kind of feel that way, yes. It does, yeah, doesn't yeah. it? And, but I on, mean, but on the other hand, everybody it, else is like, "Oh no, I watch three of those every morning." It's Christ. Yeah. <laughs> yes, there was that was a while ago, though. No, I, I haven't yeah. heard. I haven't heard anybody uh, try to try to tell me about some great TED talk they they watched and, and for a long time. There was one I watched that was good. Um, oh, what's in that? Sherwin Sherwin Newland. He wrote a a very powerful book years ago that was actually a bestseller uh, uh -huh. called How We Die. 
He's a physician. Okay. So this was, uh, I, I haven't read it myself, but people tell me it's very oh. good. Okay. And he had a TED Talk in which he revealed his own personal story about he was how how incredibly close he got to having a frontal lobotomy wow. and how he man- okay. and how he managed to avoid it it's a thrilling story yeah. <laughs> it doesn't have any of that sort of ted talk quality mm. about it and it's uh it's a good video i watched it again a year ago or so it's good. Okay, well, uh, we can maybe stick that on up on the Substack page when we find it. <laughs> it's not a splainer. No, no. But no. Um, well, back back to the back to the music thing here. I found a little uh, little clip which obviously has been transferred from VHS, which predates the internet and everything, of Bernard Purdy. Yes, explaining the samba rhythm. Well, demonstrating it more. Yeah, demonstrating it and yeah. just showing you how you do it. Yeah. And that is, it's so simple. Yep. It's so direct. Yep. It's so stylish. Yep, that's fantastic. Uh, you know, it's it's actually inspiring. And it's it, it's a, maybe a two minutes long. Uh, a bit more than three. But yes. Yeah, okay, right. And, and, it's, and it's worth it. Uh, absolutely worth it. So he says, yeah. here's Samba and here's Afro-Cuban. Uh, and, yeah. and he just gives a couple of words to explain the difference, which he doesn't really manage to explain. But, you know, you can pick it mm. up. And and then he plays. And yeah. it's fantastic. And it shows how, how you could put a few more extra th- fills in and stuff like yeah. that. And it's also effortless. Yeah. I can I can imagine somebody, some drummer kid watching that and getting really inspired by it in three minutes and then going off to do some practice. Yes, yeah, exactly. You know, very now, easily. And 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 Drummer World has tons of these. Drummer World yeah. is is great. Um they've got loads and loads of uh, of old video uh transferred to YouTube, YouTube mm-hmm. and 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 you know all all thanks and praise and props and whatnot to to them for doing that because that's that's exactly what you want, right? Yeah. Um Yeah. Uh, yes, it, uh, that's great, but it's not music theory, and that's that's perfect because it's mm-hmm. it says here it is. It's practical, right? This mm-hmm. is remember what we were talking about: yeah. em- emulation, repetition, exploration, mm-hmm. right? So first, just just do it like this, right? And you had another one that you added in our list here, which I thought was really good—a a nice lesson. It was the Charlie Parker's signature lick. Oh, yeah. Which I liked. I thought that guy was great. Mm-hmm. He didn't have a huge number of followers, nor did he have a particularly charismatic on-camera style, mm. but he's a good teacher. Um, yeah. he's, he, he makes it clear, explains it very, very clearly, mm-hmm. and then he gives you loads of examples loads yeah. of examples of people who've used this lick and quoted it and incorporated it in their own conversations and whatnot. And mm-hmm. as if, you know, you can't, you can't do a better job than that to explain the yeah. significance of this lick. And well, he also explained up front, learn other people's licks yeah. as a way of building vocabulary to give you confidence in your own solos. Yeah. It's a it's a process that jazz musicians call cutting and pasting. Yeah, 
And because uh, because the thing is, as soon if you play these things over and over again, sooner or later, one night you make a mistake or you go off in a different direction, kind of without thinking, and it's like, and then you've got your own style, right? Or you make a mistake and then you play that instead because yeah. you made a mistake, you know? Yes, something yeah, to come yeah. back to, or yeah, or um, it, or it, and the another way of thinking about it is the muscle memory of something that you played so often uh, mm-hmm. just becomes something that you can use bits of. Yes. Certainly in the, on the guitar, you've got these transpositional aspects. I think this is partly true on the keyboard. Exactly, yeah. So yeah, you, yeah. if you can, you can just move to a different string or to a different fret, and, and especially, yeah. you know, depending on your, the tuning of the strings, you can get completely yeah. different results uh, yeah. as well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, yeah, so it's, it's, it's also a matter of building that muscle memory. For example, a couple of years ago, started practicing all the major and minor diatonic scales in all the positions on the fretboard. Okay. And the result is just from having that practice and, uh, and, and then sort of linking them together in unreasonable ways is that it gives noodling a uh, a fluidity but at the same time also just the particular the way that the the fingers are moving on the fretboard can uh. very easily be moved either closer to or further away from an obvious key and scale uh-huh do you see what i'm saying yes yes i do yeah just by using shapes like geometry yeah, yeah. um and presumably this can happen more or less on other instruments too. Uh, sort of like a uh, there's a there's a movement that can be yeah. that can be used. Uh, you can use a bit of it, and then a bit of a different movement from somewhere else combined. Yeah, that that would probably be easier on keyboard instruments. Yeah, yeah. But yes, uh-huh. yeah. On the guitar, you've got this two dimensional aspect, which yes, uh, which is. Uh, Sort of interesting. Anyway, yes. Yeah, so I loved that. Um, and then he mm. goes on to to to. It's like a teacher conducting a a young student through a lesson. We'll play together, right? Mm-hmm. And here's here's the here's the bouncing. Well, he doesn't actually have a bouncing ball, does he? But here's yeah. the here's the music along the bottom. You know the stave, and, yeah. and he plays yeah. this th- this lick over in very clear rhythm, very clear meter, yeah. about a hundred times. And by the end of that, you should be able to play it too. <laughs> I, yeah. I love the guy. Uh, that's that again. That's mm. that's that's good teaching. That's that's practical. You know. Yeah. You know, it's uh, imitation, repetition. Mm-hmm. We're getting halfway through the repetition, but he talked about the exploration at the beginning. Hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, there's uh, there's there's another. Um, I think he's he's Danish or something like that. There's another saxophonist who's who's uh, who's uh, two videos I put up because I, I actually interacted with him mm-hmm. a little bit um, because I didn't quite understand uh, what he was on about. We sh- yeah, I'm going to have to do something about this to make it easier uh. for people to follow along. We're going to have to produce a playlist of the stuff that we talk about yes. in this podcast. Uh, Zoran Balagard. Is this the guy who does... Uh, how to play outside using this simple minor chord method. And I was so disappointed with this video. I've I really watched, was. Well, I watched this a couple of times and I didn't 
uh, I, I guess I'm just not not that far along. Um, he and then I wrote to him. All the bling is inside, and I, I I really I honestly I'm not joking. This is not a joke. I thought he was going to go outside and play. I thought he was saying that there was something about being outdoors. Oh no no it no! Good. It's it's a uh, no uh, yeah. I know what it no, means it's, now. Yeah. <laughs> No. Well, well maybe our listeners don't. It's playing, it's playing outside it's the arpeggios of the substitution. Yeah, yeah. Chord substitution, so that yeah. you could actually substitute another set of chords on top of the structure that's already there. Yeah, and play um, choosing notes from the scales common to those chords. Mm-hmm. I, I, I watched this a couple of times. Didn't get it. Wrote to him, uh, and he wrote back immediately. I have to say, and said, oh, well, watch my other video. Okay. And I watched that twice, and I still haven't got that. <laughs> so yeah. well, I think I'm, I'm, not, I'm not quite there yet. I'm not, I'm not far enough along to really understand what he's talking about. Uh, honestly, I think his presentation style is quite unhelpful. It's so fast as it's well. It's extremely fast and very shouty. He's he's very in your face, and um, the editing is very very fast cut. It's a style. I don't think as a way of teaching, it's uh-huh. it's very effective. But I guess it gives the impression of. I can I think I think it might be another argument from authority trick, which is you know you're you should really understand this. Uh, yeah, I don't know. I mean, I just get the feeling that I'm really shit, and there's probably a whole load of young guys out there who are wishing it went faster. <laughs> <laughs> could be. <laughs> probably it could be. Yeah. Oh, God, he's so slow. <laughs> yeah. maybe, maybe so. What did it? What kind of numbers is he doing? 163,000 on that one-year-old play, playing outside the chords using the simple minor chord method. That's pretty good mm-hmm. going. Yeah, uh, it's short. No, well, you know, it's only six I, yeah, I'm, I'm sure. I'm sure it's been very helpful to, to a lot of people. That I'll give it another go. I'll uh, or I'll maybe do some more work. I think you can probably find. Go. I think you can probably find somebody else who can explain the same technique without it being quite so rushed and shouty. Oh, we'll just maybe do some more practice. Well, get, I think <laughs> anyway. this is probably easier to do on the keyboard, right? As a way of understanding. The theoretical point, so-called theoretical yeah. point. Well, that's that's why I, I watch a lot of keyboard videos. Yeah, just because uh, I mean this is this is something that's in common with with loads of people who are trying to teach themselves jazz. Mm. Is that they because if you sit down at the piano, even if you can't really play it terribly well, like me, then you can at least put all the chords down and find out what scale goes with that and all the rest of it and see it as well. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, but, um, and so this brings us to Rick Beato. Oh, do we have to? I think we do, Tom. Yeah. I've put on a black t-shirt specially. Uh, okay. Good. Yeah. Right. Gulp. Now, uh, the thing is, all right, I have um, I have a bachelor in music, only a bachelor these days, which is worth nothing, from the Royal Scottish Academy of Music and Drama. <laughs> which is uh, worth the, these days. Yeah, which is worth nothing <laughs> these days. But it was actually um, kind of, I don't know, 
sort of a big deal at the time because it was the first time that you were able to get a university degree from what was basically a music college. Yeah. The technical side, the the sort of uh, you know, theoretical side of music was taught very, very patchily, let's say. And I was uh, I was kind of unlucky, and also people with perf- who were doing performance degrees because it's BA music performance. I've got were kind of not expected to be able to do a lot of this stuff. Do which stuff? And, uh, harmony and counterpoint. Uh-huh. Yeah. And uh, I'm revealing this on the air for the first time, but my teacher. Because I, I was uh, for for my final exam, I was supposed to prepare a, a piece of three parts counterpoint, and I wrote this whole thing out and showed it to him. And you could either uh, prepare something and hand it in a month earlier, or you could do it on the day in the exam. So, I did this, showed it to him, and he said, "No, no, there's nothing I can use here. Um, leave it with me." I'll write you out one and put in a couple of mistakes. You copy it out in your handwriting, you hand it in. And I said, no, I'm not doing that. I went away and thought about it for a weekend, and I said, no, I'm not doing that. He said, well, you'll fail. I said, well, so I'll fail. And uh, I did this. Um, I I, uh, I then, you know, I, I hand I actually did the exam on the day and I failed my degree and I had but fortunately I only failed it in that subject so I had to do a resit and I went away and in a month I actually got some got some lessons and I I found out how to do harmony and counterpoint in a month which Mm -hmm. you know I'd been there three years but finally found out how to do it and uh, and I passed the exam I mean I think they were a bit keen to get me through the exam as well, because I seem to remember that in the first exam that I'd failed, it was a piece of Charles Villa's Stanford in E major. And uh, in the reset, it was something like, happy birthday to you, you know. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe it's always like that. <laughs> but, uh, but yeah, so I, I was... Um, I was really, really very pissed off by this. I didn't want to go and go to the ceremony and collect the collect the uh, the degree. Yeah, and uh, and I was uh, I was you know they can stick it up their ass and everything. But finally, my mother said to me, "Well, look, I've supported you through you know three years of college, and I want to go to this ceremony." So I was like, "Okay, for you, I do this." You know, so. Uh, so further unpleasantness was avoided, but uh, but it does is something that still rankles to this day actually, uh, because of course the thing is, I'm uh, you know here I am watching YouTube videos of people explaining stuff like that. If Rick Beato had been my harmony and counterpoint teacher, that would have been fantastic because. He doesn't just talk about uh, jazz harmony or or even rock harmony and and stuff like that. He actually talks about the kind of stuff that uh, the sort of classical harmony. I just watched this morning his uh, explainer about uh, Neapolitan sixth, Neapolitan sixth chords, 
and the different styles, how to recognize them, how they harmonize, uh, which is is pure, pure classical harmony. And all of my teachers at college would have nodded sagely all the way through that video. And But it was explained with a simplicity that I could actually follow and not too much. Um, and one of the things that I found very difficult at college was the fact that they use... Um, they use figured bass yeah. all the time, which, you know, if you've, uh, I had, obviously I'd been, I'd been messing around with jazz before. So I'd, uh, been dealing with chords. So the idea of, of, you know, calling, uh, yeah, adding numbers to a second in version C7 or something seemed just stupid. <laughs> So I think from that point of view, I'm on board with Rick Beato. Well, I I, I think the, the that explanation makes complete sense to me. I mean, if mm. if he's managing to teach stuff that you found difficult to understand back then in a way that is easier to understand, then he's a better teacher than the teachers you had then, and mm. that's that's a, that's a reason to be pleased about it. Yeah. Right. And in fact, if you're listening to this and you are a music student at a music college right now, do you watch those videos? Or Write in and tell us. Or any others. Uh, my yeah. issue with, with Rick Beato is not that he doesn't know his stuff. It's, well, I guess there's a couple of points, but um, in fact, there are several. But the, mm -hmm. but the first one is he's, he's just a repellent person. There's a, a style of angry dad uh, YouTubers that, <laughs> that I just can't, I can't be dealing with. Um, okay. You find them in various areas of, of the internet, whether it's to do with cameras or guitars or dogs or audio equipment or microphones mm -hmm. or whatever, this angry dad sort of thing. It's a, it's basically some, somebody who's kind of dismissive of everything that they don't like or aren't interested in. Mm. Um, yeah. Yeah, and there's there's actually uh, again we talked about all of the reaction videos. There's a whole uh, page full of videos of people complaining about him mm -hmm. about exactly, but they're not complaining about the sort of theoretical stuff where he actually explains chords and harmony and stuff like that. They they complain about he how uh, how he berates Gen Z for not liking music. Yeah. Which is you know, which is absolutely fatuous, really. Yeah, those and are, the, his his one of his main themes is that the music he likes is better than the music that other people who like other music like. Mm. Right. I mean, and, that's uh, that's just his theme, and he's and he tries to give you. And this is this is actually a really interesting window into a. Uh, a point that I think that I started with uh, when we started talking about music theory uh, is that like a lot of people, even people who know a lot about music, hmm. they don't understand that music theory can't explain anything. Literally can't explain anything. All it can do is describe the traditions it's already been used to describe. It is just hmm. a language for talking about music. But it's only for use for talking. It's only really effective as a language for talking about music that two people 
can are can communicate over and that's generally speaking the the you know the familiar the simpler stuff like the neapolitan chords well most people aren't going to talk about that so it's not a big deal no. but we can talk about you know for, i mean jazz is actually a pretty decent example because we've got chord symbols there mm-hmm. and the chord symbols in jazz are kind of fun because they're you know they're they're so confusing and there are so many different chord symbols for the exact same thing uh but but the where the chord symbols really work is if we're just dealing with major and minor triads and their and the chords with the sevenths on them and we can definitely you know most musicians are going to succeed in talking about the music using the that language and they'll know exactly what's going on right if mm. if we if we start perverting too far from that basis yeah, most people can manage to to add add the extras, the the ninth, the eleventh, the thirteenth, whatever, and people can can know what what a suspension is with the second and the fourth, mm-hmm. um, and can understand the difference between a, a, a dominant and a major and minor seventh. Mm-hmm. Uh, okay, so we've we've got some basics there, but then then if we get to the to this 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 other thing that you can write down in the chord symbols, which is the flattening and sharpening of various mm-hmm. uh, tones within the chord, mm-hmm. which is something that jazzers do all the time, of course. Mm-hmm. And not just jazzers, of course, but um, uh, something that happens a lot. So we can, we can write that down. We can talk about it. We can say, oh, yeah, that's this chord, and can you find that? Or alternatively, you might know it as this chord with that modification. You know, uh, We can talk about it. We're communicating. We understand what we're saying to each other. But why it sounds the way it does and why it sounds the way it does within the particular musical context with this chord before this chord after maybe the whole thing's in this key and with this melody going on music theory can't explain that it just can't all it can do is use examples which is not explaining anything all it's doing is saying is putting labels onto experiences of music that we can share. Right? Mm, but it's not okay. it's not like Newton's Gravitätlichkeit, mm. which predicts and explains so much, or even Einstein's version of the same, mm. which explains exactly what Newton got wrong as well as what he got right and how these things are separated. And can even explain how Newton didn't manage to get it right. It explains so much, and there are so many theories from, uh, you know, from the theoretic, from from you know, solid theoretical world. Uh, the mm. good one is, is is Darwin's theory of evolution by natural selection. We've managed to explain so much using that. And then when Mendel got involved, and and then when they when the molecular biologists got involved, that's theory. And it's, it's, it can explain and it can predict. Music theory doesn't. So I've got something for you to read, and I sent okay. it to you. I love this. Uh, it's a page from a book that, that uh, Ken Ueno put onto his Twitter years ago, and it's got a, a cartoon in it. Uh, it's just, just great. And this is, this, is, this is written by a true ex- expert. Times have changed. 
Although music theory today is still entangled in the frayed fibers of its ancient string, it has become increasingly irrelevant in explaining anything other than itself. And here we have the cartoon of uh, entitled A String Walks Into a Bar. And uh, it sits on a bar stool, and the barman asks it, Still influencing the universe these days? And the string says, I'm afraid not. <laughs> uh, it has evolved into a kind of a truism that borders on tautology. Music theory is for music theorists. It has fallen into an academic narcissism that would be quite beautiful were it not so boring for everyone else peering into the discipline. Of course, this assumes in the first place that it is possible for those on the outside to penetrate the density of its discourse in order to experience the beauty of its boredom. It is dull and forbiddingly opaque, and most scholars leave music theory alone to talk to itself. So why bother with music theory? Because its cosmic potential is too big to fail. For music theorists, this manifesto will clearly be a sharp, short critique intended as much to as to be a goad as it is a call and then uh, the page. We don't have the next page. Yeah, right. which is a shame. What's it, the book, it, it is by the way? I'll find, I'll find it for you. I, I don't have it to hand, I'm afraid. The the key to this last part is the first part is it has become increasingly irrelevant in explaining anything other than itself than itself yeah yeah um, well I don't know look okay it's 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 very possible for me to put on the Steely Dan record and uh, and listen to the series of chords yep that, and think and one well, of, and one of the examples that you you gave was was exactly that I think it was somebody took yeah. Somebody took a, a, a short or a TikTok or somebody of somebody playing the piano. Some, yeah, some steely dance. She's really piano. good. And and um, then it was probably somebody else who put so who, who put the chord changes on on top. Yeah, and uh, and then actually to to sit down and uh, I mean somewhere or other I've got a book of two Steely Dan albums, one of those piano albums. Mm -hmm. uh, but to actually get somebody to talk you through what all the changes are and where, you know, where certain notes are, where the voicings really rub and yes. give the chord some, some, uh, some character. I, I find that interesting. Yes, but uh, it's not music theory. And that's what we've got there is, is, is just, <coughs> is just notation, right? That's, okay. that's, that's just, we've got, a piece of music, and here it is transcribed. Yeah. Right? And now you can go and, using the transcription, without having to do it yourself, mm -hmm. right, you can go and try it out. And you can say, yeah, okay. And you can see where you could maybe use one of those chords yourself. Right. Somewhere. That's So you can, and that's a practical training in music. That's not theory. Uh -huh. So what, you're, what, what is theory that you're saying? My, th my point is that there is no such thing as music theory. What we okay. what we call music theory is a uh, is an explanation of structures that have been ah, popular okay. in European uh, structures that have already been created. Yes, yeah, and uh, and it does not have the ability to actually uh, predict the future, or not just to pre not predict the future, but also doesn't have any uh, it doesn't have any power to explain the aesthetic 
properties of what we're listening to. Yeah, agreed. Right? Yeah, it's it's com- completely absent. This um, and, and and no matter how hard you try. And people can try this from a number of ways. One of them is we can get deeper and deeper into elaborating the language that music, quote unquote, theory um, mm-hmm. uh, is. It, you, you, we can elaborate the language so that it can describe more and more stuff. Mm-hmm. So, for example, in order to explain everything that's happened in weird and avant-garde music, up, you know, from let's say the last hundred and fifty years, we need some some uh, some radical upgrades to the language just to do that. Um, mm-hmm. I don't think those are particularly useful, and that's probably probably what the second paragraph here of this text is talking about. But, but mm. there's also the other aspect, which has been going on since, well, at least, at least the ancient Greeks we know, because they wrote it down, uh, of trying to, trying to explain it in terms of physics and trying to explain it, yes. music, in, in, in relating what we do in music to the physical properties of things. Yeah, okay. Uh, which I think is also a mistake. It you can get a little bit down the road that way, but the you know the mm. the harmonic series, uh, you know, of, of frequencies that you can get out of a out of a string, you know, just mm-hmm. sort of dividing it up, which even I think a lot of music students will be taught at some point. The properties of the the aesthetic properties. Why? this chord is the right one to use in that composition right there to get that effect mm. can also not come from physics. No. I don't believe it can. And I think it's a waste of time to try. Mm. You follow? Yes, I do. Yeah, so this is, this is why I think it's, it's really interesting to uh, observe these videos that, that talk about theory because I think that there's a lot of confusion on this topic. Mm. There are ways of of communicating about music, right? Mm-hmm. There's we can we can use um, telegraph lines and tadpoles, right? We can use that's one particular formalism. We can use chord mm-hmm. symbols. We can use mm-hmm. words to talk about intervals. Uh, we can use letters, do re mi, to talk about uh, about specific mm-hmm. notes and positions within scales. All of these are just ways of people to communicate from one to another about a piece of music. Maybe they, maybe they want somebody to play something with them. Mm-hmm. But this can just as well be communicated by demonstration in some cases. If you've got a big orchestra, that's going to take a long time, right? Mm-hmm. To tell everybody their different parts. So that's why it's useful to write these things down in yeah. advance and distribute the paperwork, right? Yes. But it's... It's just communication. It's just talking about music. And it's not an explaining why it's... So there's, there's another video that you came up with which had the composer and arranger analyzes the Domi and DJ and J.D. Beck yeah. work. And this was... I, I thought this was very cute. I mean, the guy's very nice. Yeah. And, and also just sort of spectacularly missing the point at some points, I thought... Okay, this is probably just he's not used to the styles. But yes, uh, Chikoria, yeah. He, he was yeah. the master of this. He's like, the, 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 he defines uh, fusion and, and prog chords, mm-hmm. you know, the guy who, who really yeah. sort of like set the, set the agenda for quite a few but, years there. 
Oh yeah, but that's uh, it's it's very interesting. I I went back and listened to the whole album with Stan Getz from the sixties, mm-hmm. which which you know it must have been one of the you know chick career right at the start of his career. And uh, career, career. yeah, yeah, okay. <laughs> it's uh, it's it's a, it's a cool album, and he's right about the drum sound. You're completely missing the point at the same time. Oh, God. Okay, whatever. But, um, yeah, uh, it's. I find it also uh, interesting that he, that he managed to, because this is basically somebody whose daughter brought him a recording of these, these two, mm-hmm. uh, two very young musicians who I think are absolutely amazing. And um, he, as a as an older uh, jazz arranger, he was absolutely blown away by it, and he was reminded of something that had that had actually gone before, and that immediately was interesting to me, because <clears throat> the thing about um, about the music that these two make is it sounds very very modern to me. And uh, to discover that no, hang on, this has actually been done before. And look, these are this hasn't just come out of nowhere. These are the elements that have gone into it. I found that very interesting. I also found it very interesting a sort of technical explanation of um, of the voicings of the chords and actually leaving thirds out of the chords. Ah, oh, you see, that's it's ve- it's 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 again telling that this guy calls himself a jazz arranger. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's a that's an old trick in in rock music. Is it now? Oh there yeah, you go. yeah. Once you yeah. once you drop the third out, then you can move the bass around, and you can get yeah. all kinds of stuff. I mean, Elton John, you know this this chord, and then moving the bass up and down one. Um, you can you can yeah. do you can do a, a couple of choruses that way, and then move to the next song. It's just a different. You know, it's, yeah. <laughs> Interesting. Yeah, the missing the point. You got all upset on me uh, with me on that. Was that it sounds modern to you because it uses a drum technique that uh, you probably haven't listened to very much. Uh, that was it. This is what's interesting here is that this is not Stan Getz, or maybe no. the drum sound is a little bit. This is a uh, this is a uh, a drummer who has adapted drum machine extreme drum machine yes. programming to yeah yeah. Uh, to 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 real life playing, and yeah. that's and that's why that's why he gets all the attention is like, like he's a, he's just a technical prodigy. It's like oh wow God I didn't know anybody could do that even you know that kind of thing, mm. which is kind of one of those signs of the times I guess. And I I'd actually heard this piece of music before in a different a a different recording, which had got uh, some gigantic number of views. Uh, Ziljan, the, uh, mm-hmm. the the symbol manufacturer yeah, from yeah. from Turkey or whatever, they yeah. they they have some prom- they they did a promotional video uh, which yeah. involved these two and somebody had got uh, maybe it was Beck herself had got this uh, arranged a a horn section uh, to go along with it and ah, okay. and two or three guitars. This was this was shown to me a few years ago by by my friend Daniel, and I thought, oh, this is so depressing. We have here this collection of of talent recycling these old styles in something that's like, I don't know what we call this. What do you call post postmodern? 
Uh, it's mm. a so we got the you know the jungle drum style drum bass they call it whatever yeah. um it's had various names but if, when it first hit the scene it was a dance it was a dance club thing yeah it's a junglist yeah and and we've got these uh this, these chicoria stylings and then the rest of the band the arrangement was just taking the chords from the from the keyboard mm. and and and, yeah. and and setting setting some of them quite long on the horns and i thought Wow, this is as a as a composition. This is so postmodern and sad for exactly that reason. Um, look at the array of talent uh, here, and this is this nostalgic thing comes out. Um, huh. I I I, I, okay, was, well, I was sort of, you, sort of did you feel depressed differently? Did you feel differently about the about the version with just the two of? Um, it was over quicker. That was nice. Oh, okay. What What's missing here is is the sense of the the sense of of young people doing something new. Okay, but what listen, I, uh, what I'm getting is the is the sense of um, of ultra style. You know, it's it's styles turned up to ten and very very well packaged in just a recombination of, mm. of very very familiar things but hold on we're getting we're getting into aesthetics here yes. and we're supposed to be talking about uh about the actual exp uh, the actual splainer video and uh, i thought that um, that guy that arranger who was obviously uh, thrilled with what he heard uh did a very good job of explaining it of putting chords out yeah yeah yeah. And, uh, oh, but, and, it, but there was one more point that I wanted to make on that mm -hmm. exact point. He did have some very interesting remarks about how this particular way of... So you take a very complicated chord, right? So maybe mm -hmm. we've got six or seven distinct tones involved. That sounds like this if we just do the straight version. And then we can invert this part of the chord, shift it onto this bass and drop a, drop a tone. And mm. that's kind of the the general gist he was he was getting along there, and then it sounds a particular way. And then he described the way it sounds, and this one sounds dry, and this one sounds this, and this one sounds. And those those words meant nothing to me in that in that context. Like oh, I I have no idea how to relate that mm. adjective he used to what I was hearing. I see. see. This okay. is, is it, this is why. I think it. I think it's. I think it's seriously interesting to relate aesthetics to, uh, to to what we're playing. That is an interesting thing that people are always trying to do. This is the eternal promise of music theory that it can never fulfill. This provides the gap that allows us to eternally talk about it. Do you see? Okay. Yeah. It creates a space because the what. What do these chords sound like to you? Well, maybe you can find some words to describe it, but that's 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 not that's they're not going. You're not going to find those in a book of theory, or at least not a a textbook. Well, yeah, you know that's well, that's just that's just conversation, and we should have conversations about what music sounds like. That's absolutely reasonable. Yeah, I suppose so. Of course, we should.
I mean, if these things are important to us, we should talk about it. But I don't, mm. this is, this is why I find the whole, uh, the, the same, Rick Beato makes the same damn mistake. And it's the same mistake even with why do humans uh, like jazz? I mm. mean, one of the complete fallacies built into that uh, YouTube splainer, and it's maybe about the most splainerish of all of them, that jazz and complexity are somehow synonymous. He doesn't explain it, but it's compl- it's a it's a it's an assumption in his in his thesis. That's true. And I suspect there the, is the guy very, who made that video didn't like jazz. I suspect that he did, but he's very very young. I think he's a student who's learned some physics and enjoys music and has learned some music as well. <clears throat> well, uh, if he's if he's listening to this podcast, maybe he'd like to get in touch. I doubt it. He will, but because <laughs> nobody listens to our podcast. But the uh, the way that he was enthralled by Steven Pinker uh, is is another indication of a. I don't okay. know. I guess even old people can 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 be hmm. swayed by Pinker's nonsense. The idea that I mean, there's simple jazz and there's complex music that isn't jazz. I don't see the connection at all. Mm, that's true. Well, would you uh, would you like to get onto some of the other stuff that we've uh, that we've looked at as far as explainers go? Absolutely, if you don't want to talk about music anymore, because you know, I people do uh, reach for YouTube whenever they've they need to do anything, bleed a radiator, or, or make a sponge <laughs> yes. cake, or whatever. You know? It works. And it, yeah, no, it, it always works. And, it's amazing. Uh, it does work. Yeah. And uh, anytime my kids ask me anything, I always tell them to go on YouTube. <laughs> yes. Absolutely. Uh, what do you want to show? Well, I've, I've, got, I've got a kind of weird example because it's, uh, it's, it's a little bit unusual. Um, so I have just today finished a short story in uh, one of the sort of points in this story is is cartomancy mm-hmm. is uh is fortune telling using playing cards which is something that i of course know nothing about yep but it was uh the way the story all fitted together in my head i realized that that was an element that was going to have to be used i'll tell you what actually because uh nobody reads if you think nobody listens to the podcast nobody reads my stuff so if you're interested i'll type this up and i'll stick it on the substack page and anybody who wants can uh can download it and read it but um i had to find out about cartomancy Mm -hmm. so um so i went on youtube and i used a lot of these videos probably not the way that they were intended to be used in that I studied not only how you were supposed to lay out the cards and how you were supposed to tell somebody's fortune using normal playing cards, but I studied also the people who were doing the explaining and I lifted things that people said directly out of the video and used them as and put them in the mouths of some of the characters in the short story yeah i wonder how many people do stuff like that probably more than you'd think well uh since i haven't thought about it before i think that's definitely true yeah (laughs) yeah these are the two examples that you gave uh me to look at um how to shuffle tarot cards 
Yeah. Uh, the how to shuffle tarot cards. Yeah. <laughs> oh, I laughed so hard. <laughs> it's terrible at shuffle handling cards. Yeah, I know, but I, uh, but I, and, but she, I, and she talks all the way through it without managing to say anything at all. Oh, but listen, I've lifted whole <laughs> sentences from her and stuck them and used them in my character. <laughs> yes, I mean, there's a there's very a useful. Of, that there's, one. there's a style to uh, to um, or the, you know, there's a not a style. There's there is something going on there, but it's. You know, it, it, it's it's nearly all the same thing said over and over again, and just using well, yeah, but words. that's uh, but then then you've got to uh, okay, you'll maybe take uh, bits of information out of that, or maybe even direct if somebody comes up with a real zinger of a of a quote, then I'll maybe just lift the whole sentence piecemeal. Yeah. You know, yeah. I'm not beyond that, but also you try to you try to learn the language of of bullshit that they're speaking <laughs> and you try to then actually write using this language and come up with you know so you're into the character and yeah. you think well what would yeah. they say you know they've they've got you've got to keep talking when you when you're doing uh, when you're doing a reading yeah you know you've got to got to keep somebody's attention so you, you have to keep the tension in the room so you have to keep talking so in that um, sense it uh, reminds me a little bit of auction chant a little bit yeah yeah, it's well. Uh, anything like that is is kind of uh, it's uh, it's somewhere between a sort of performance and a spell, isn't it? Yeah, um, um, bingo announcers. Yeah, because with bingo, you've got to maintain a very precise pace, haven't you? Well, there's a, there's a moment when uh, actually in that very video when she says that if you don't uh, if if you don't actually. Uh, keep touching the cards and if you don't build up a relationship they're just pieces of paper which mm -hmm. and yeah in a way if if everybody in the room doesn't believe that there's something special about these cards they are just pieces of paper what she's saying is what's special is what you do with them yeah well no but it, it, it involves everybody there to actually believe that she's doing something special yes holy if you will yes you know yeah, sacramental. And, uh, yeah, yeah. Um, and uh, she, she was talking very, very, very. There's a there's a practical point here. Actually, she was talking about the importance of not gripping and being in control of the cards because the cards have to have to go where they want, want to. to go. And but yeah. but when you're thinking, if, if you know, if you know a bit about you know mechanics, yeah, if you want to, if you want a random shuffle, that's what you need to do. You need yeah. this sort of like balance. You need enough control so that you'll you'll get the maximum unpredictability, but uh -huh. that unpredictability is going to require you to loosen control quite yeah. a lot as well. You know? Yeah. So yeah. there's a you know if you just leave the deck on the uh, down there and and ask somebody to split it, that's pretty clear. You're not haven't done much in it yourself. Or if you just yeah. have a deck, it's just a deck of cards. It's it's perfectly yeah. ordinary. That's unmagical thing. If you do a whole bunch of here's another analogy: cocktail waiters. Ah, oh, true. Right. I mean, cocktails are are special mostly because of the theater. Yes. You know, um, the best drinks you can get are poured from a bottle into a glass, and that's that. Um, hmm. 
there's, there's no two ways about it. But uh, you mm. know, but but the, the but mixed drinks are 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 fun because of the mixing. Because of the oh, we should have we should have got looked at some uh, splainers about mixing cocktails. Oh that my god, these good. guys are so slick. It's awful. <laughs> you know, they've they've got they've got proper studios and everything. Um, and, yeah. you know, they've, they've got, uh, you know, they've got the, the hair and the beards and, and, and special yeah. lighting and everything. Now the, the lady you got here, who's teaching you how to shuffle, she's, oh, it's pretty low rent production, that one. Yeah. 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 But, uh, but I, I went through a lot of videos before I found that one. You know, yeah. you've, you've got to do your research for stories. <laughs> the the yeah. second one got me laughing even more. The, oh. the one after that, the, he was giving a general reading. Uh-huh. Um, he, um, <laughs> and the way he spends like the first minute and a half shuffling and explaining why he can't shuffle, because uh, I'm trying a new shuffle technique that I, uh, yeah, I just learned yesterday or something he says like that. But he really only sort of like finds his stride once he starts telling you what the cards mean. But yeah. early on, it's just, you really don't know what you're doing here do you you just learned this <laughs> yesterday didn't he didn't he say that he shot his hand in the door the day before he did but i mean look yeah. you've got <laughs> you're a youtube splainer right you've got the camera you've got the close-up on your hands and a deck of cards you'd think you'd practice this a little bit <laughs> you want to look good for the camera a bit yeah I mean, I know well, this. I I tried it for myself, and you've seen the videos. Mm-hmm. Now I don't yeah. really, I don't know if they really count as splainers or tutorials because those aren't really quite the same thing. Mm-hmm. But it was oh the the one about the different tuning yeah. for the guitar strings that yeah. that counts as a splainer. You think? Yeah, I think it's a bit more tutorial, but maybe okay. It does go through some technique. Some you know, I I do at one point get up some graphics and go through a chart of numbers mm-hmm. and whatnot. So I guess that's a splainer if you want. But part of the part of the experience of that was to discover my egomania through it. Ah, uh, do you understand? Yeah, like to actually care about the number of views. Oh God! Yeah. Okay. Right. right. Yes. And then to and then to find that one of them had got over a, a thousand views once, and at one point it went like from from sort of like seven hundred views to about twelve hundred views in like a weekend or something. I was I wanted to know what happened. Right. Yeah. I really wanted to know, and uh, and and I still can't really kind of bring this fully under control. But on the other hand. What the hell, man? I, I'm not a YouTube personality. God damn it. You know, I mean, but the, the tension here explains how easy it is to get sucked in to that way mm. of thinking. That um, trying to yeah. be Rick Beato or whatever the fuck you, you want to mm. be. If, you, if you're, uh, you know, it's... You st- I actually thought about in advance... How? What's going to be my style talking to camera? What should be my style be? Well, you know that's that's it's quite fair, understandable. It's fair enough if and if 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 we got a project to do here. But mm-hmm. imagine, imagine you were Rick Beato today. Let's let, okay. Let's let's do this in some theoret- more theoretical, abstract way. 
imagine that you had a channel like his with that much content, prior content, and that much audience. Uh-huh. And you've got to keep it going. Yeah, you see, I think that's why he ends up doing videos like that stupid one where he goes on about how Apple is rubbish. Yeah. You know, I think he's he's uh, he's got on this treadmill where he's having to put out, you know, content all the time. That's always exactly, new content. He has exactly to come the up word I use for it. Something. Treadmill. Yeah. And uh, and I think it's a great shame because uh, because, like I said, the the sort of strictly, um, you know, the well, he he explained Neapolitan Six to me better than anybody at my college. Yeah. Now, let's let's bring this back to this to the very beginning. Before we had YouTube, we had cable TV and satellite TV, and before mm-hmm. we had cable and satellite, we had network TV. Mm-hmm. We had a few channels, mm-hmm. and at that time, we had commissioners and producers who worked for these networks, um, who could mm-hmm. you know they could take somebody like Rick Beato and say. Give us six episodes, half an hour each. Hmm. And actually, he'd be I was l- thinking more about the Open University, but carry on. I'm thinking more like rock school. Okay, yeah. All right. Uh, we're gonna. I'll give you six episodes, half an hour each. I'll go out on BBC Two at a not very primish time, hmm. and see what you can do. Right now. He's limited. He's got to do the best that can be done within that yeah. time budget. And then you're done. And mm. if you're lucky, you might get another six next year. Yeah. Right? But only if exactly. you want to. Only if you feel like you've got something to add. Yeah, Otherwise, and you'd, you have, you'd to. have to actually prepare everything and pitch it. Yeah. Okay, this is going to be episode one, and that's then going to lead on into episode two, where I'm going to do that. And, you know, you, you would have to actually pitch all of those six episodes. Yeah. So you see how the uh, how the, the YouTube model is, is both a, a blessing and a curse. Yes, very clearly. Yeah. Um, I think I've got a good question for us to end on. Yeah, what's that? Uh, that guy who's doing all the stuff with, um, cause this is now firmly in your wheelhouse. You are the Mozart of electrical engineering. That bloke who's doing all that stuff with, el- with electricity. Is he for real? <laughs> yes. Is it, is that genuine? Really? Yes. Why not? When he's demonstrating voltage and current using a, a, a lab power supply. Yeah, welding. Yes, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. That's that's real. That you can do all of that. I, if you gave me the same equipment, I could do it. No, I I know, but uh, but when he's like setting fire to his hair and yes. <laughs> giving himself massive electric shocks, yes. Why would you put that out? Well, no, it's uh, when he's zapping himself. Yes, uh, yes. Okay, so so that stuff. He's he's not going to hurt himself. He's not that stupid. But it's that 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 part of it is easily faked. So you can, if you look carefully, you can see he's not, okay. he's, he's not seriously hurting himself or it's, or it's not, you know, he's not going to cause any real damage. Okay. Because uh, yeah. I have seen some of these videos before. Yeah. The same guy. Yeah. 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 He, yeah. He's very good at explaining stuff. Uh, what, that's why I am, I, I'm so impressed with his, with his videos is that 
for a certain kind of audience, somebody who does understand, you know, Ohm's law just about. Uh-huh. Yeah. Uh, but is stupid enough to say something like, it's not the voltage that kills you, it's the current. Right. That's a great video. That's just fucking perfect. Um, right. But now, somebody who's who doesn't know quite enough about what voltage and current really are uh-huh. is probably not going to really understand. Mm-hmm. Uh, but as a as a as a technical explanation, it's really solid. Okay. There's, there's only one. There's only one quibble I would have with him, and that's just over a choice of word. Uh, where I I tend to think of voltage not so much as the energy, as the force, the push, the oh. you know. Okay. But it's just a choice of word. It doesn't really matter. Yeah. Yeah. But yeah. Everything else, I thought, is just terrific. Yeah. Hmm. No, those aren't those aren't really magic tricks. But he does he does really overdo it in 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 sort of the just the theatrical aspect of it. But that's for fun. Oh, I see. Okay. Right. And he's he's clearly very humorous. You know the way he calls himself Mister Unibrow. You know. <laughs> <laughs> His special feature is this one brow. You know, mm-hmm. what was the comedy, the comic series on TV? That's uh, the TV animation that everybody's got a uni brow. Is that Rick and Morty? Uh, yeah, I think it might be. Mm. That's not so much an explainer style. I don't think. Well, maybe it is. I guess it is explainer style. I'm t- I'm thinking about. We remember we talked about. Do we didn't even talk about. The mother and father and grandfather and grandmother of all, of of entire YouTube splainer style. Mm-hmm. Uh, What's that? Was, everything's a remix. We, I think you very briefly mentioned. Oh that. God, yeah. Um, which is, it, it it's sort of cool because it it deals with so many topics that are, and 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 does does a very good job with them. But on the other hand, it's got this underlying falsehood to it, which is that there is some alternative to the the copyright corner we're in today uh, mm. that that doesn't involve um, you know uh, some kind of emancipatory socialist politics. I mean it. It talks about how there's a lack of it, there. This it, it, the whole thing is based. The whole the whole idea is that there's something screwy about how all culture is a remix, which is I think more or less true. And the copyright system, yeah, hmm. sure. But the copyright system is about money, and the copyright system is about how does how does copyright keep getting extended? Well, Disney, right. That's a big, powerful company, and they can they control politics, so they can they can get the laws they want. How do how does how does this thing all get practiced in real life? Well, it's with copyright law and lawyers and courts. Again, lawyers and courts are all games that the big guys can play, and we can't. If if mm. they want, if we want, you know, if you want to play legal games with the big guys, you will lose. Mm. Right. You just will. There's, it's a rich man's game. Yeah, and, you know, always yeah, was. Exactly. Um, yeah. So the you know the it it seems to be this sort of i this Lawrence Lessig idea of 
expressing this Lawrence Lessig idea of, um, well, things ought to be free from, you know, ideas ought to be free from a moral point of view. Mm. Sure, I, I, I can go along with that. I'm, 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 I'm fine with that. But you've got to be realistic. We live in a, we live in a world where it's not free. And, and people who act like it, like it is, like Aaron Schwartz, mm. you know, they get punished. And in his case, he committed suicide. I, I know there's that part of it, and there's also, but there's also the, another part. Just to end on a, on an up note, mm. um, I liked in everything is a remix how it explicitly took a shot at the very European notion of artists as being great inspired com- creators. Mm-hmm. You know, the great composers, the great painters, the great whatever who become national treasures, of course, and who we uh, venerate for centuries afterwards. Of course, there are some, some great creators. There's, there's no doubt about it, but nobody's truly original, are they? It's, no. Uh, the, I, I, I did like the way that it, it, it did man, it sort of managed to um, de- or at least devalue that notion of... Uh, you know, sort of like the romantic notion of a, a of the great artist who can, in isolation, through sheer inspiration and will and work, uh, produce great mm. great creations. No, it's uh, <clears throat> you can you can trace back elements of almost anything. Yes, but. Um, but actually, it's a little bit, I mean, you know, I'm not saying that I'm any great creator or artist, please. It's a little bit like I've just shown you how that's done, in a way, in um, uh, like watching that lady in the, uh, in the, the tarot card shuffling yeah. video. Yeah. And lifting elements of that. Not really uh, interested lifting, in her. Her skills of shuffling, but you're interested in no, what she says but, about uh, it. No, but you know, li- list lifting in one case, uh, you know, a whole sentence, and then, yeah. but actually trying to get inside the the whole uh, vocabulary and the whole the whole sort of inflection that she was the way she was speaking until I could actually write something that she might have said. Take- you know, so that's that that's there's there's an example of something being created that actually is taken from from something that's that's already there. Yeah, and good example of it. There's um I can't think of a nice one right now, but certainly there have been plenty of writers who've who who've taken it upon themselves to go out into the world and observe and mm. and do their writing based on that. Uh, and, and you know, I, certainly with music, if you you know if you go into into the world of classical music, you can you can find roots of of all kinds of stuff in music that had that had gone on for centuries. The wonderful story about uh, Elgar being asked about uh, dealing with composer's block. Yeah, and uh, he he was not somebody who liked talking about about how he composed or how he worked at all. But finally, he said, "Well, when I get stuck, I always look at Handel." Mm-hmm. You know? <laughs> so that's yeah. that's a couple of hundred years. <laughs> yes. Yeah, there's lots. Uh, yeah, I mean, there's lots of th- lots of it there, isn't there? 
Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. There's a wonderful, another wonderful story about Miles Davis um, asking, being on some uh, some show with Sidney Bechet, mm-hmm. who, of course, is a, a musician from a much earlier period, and asking, hey, where did you get that lick from? And Bechet said, oh, that's a, that's a New Orleans thing. That's, that's something that comes from a, a, you know, a funeral thing. And Miles said, well, the last person I heard pl- that played that was Charlie Parker. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, uh, everything's a remix. Yes, of course it is. Yeah, and if you want, challenge. And if you, want, if you want to get your freedom back in the creative domain, then we're going to have to get our freedom back in the economic domain. Absolutely. Yeah. No two ways about <laughs> it. Yeah, otherwise you're just going to have to be original. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Good luck with that, huh? Yeah. Yeah.